the reality is, this is painful to say, but it kind of is what it is. I am an amalgam of survival and beauty and creativity and wonderful blackness and Caribbeanness, as well as the trauma and the pain, you know, of that journey. Welcome to Making Polyamory Work. Hi, I'm Libby Sinbeck, and I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm a queer polyamorous mom and a relationship transformation coach, and I am committed to helping people who live and love outside the status quo, whatever that means to them, have extraordinary relationships, because I believe that relationships are at the core of our well-being as humans. I also believe that love is why we're here and how we heal. I am so excited to share this episode, well, really two episodes with you today, um, because I get to introduce all of you to my friend and colleague and teacher, Akila Riley Richardson. Akila and I have known each other since 2018, uh, back when we were both uh, training to become certified in relational life therapy, which we both now are. And she is just incredible. She's a published researcher. She's a couples therapist and certified clinical trauma professional. She's been in clinical practice for 15 years and has experience working with couples and persons practicing consensual non-monogamy, both in the Caribbean and internationally. Akila also specializes in working with sexual minorities and racial minorities. And she's also an incredible educator and facilitator. And I feel really lucky to not just be her friend, but also to learn from her. Uh, and she's just, she's just amazing. And I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Uh, and so here we go. This is part one of two parts of Akila and I talking about relational privilege and minority stress. I hope you enjoy. I am so glad to have you here today. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be with you. I am, I'm excited to share with my listeners all of the wonderful uh, things in your brain. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, because I've been so lucky to uh, be a student of yours and to be a colleague of yours and be your friend. And we've just had so many good, um, juicy <laughs> conversations over the last several uh, years, really. But, um, you know, uh, and so I'm really excited to share some of that with our listeners today. And I guess I'm wondering before we before we dive in, you know, I've introduced you at the beginning of the show and talked about, um, you know, all your bona fides in the wait, wait, you know, but you as you put it in the in the white colonialist uh, Western <laughs> world, that's that's how that's how you prove that that people should listen to you. But I want to know, why do you listen to you? That is a real good question. Sorry, the way you framed it. <laughs> yeah, pause. Why I need to write that down. Why do you listen to you? I listen to me because I'm a life form and my walk is important. And I feel this way about everybody's walk, not just my walk. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's the first thing I listen to me because I'm a life form and I deserve to be listened to, just like everybody else. Yes. 
Number two, I listen to me because listening to me is emancipatory. Listen, mm. listening to me is political. Listening to me is liberatory, and I need to listen to me. Um, I'm black. I am a dark-skinned black woman with very with African features, with natural hair, with thick lips. I am not a size three or whatever is the size. I also have this accent. I am from Trinidad and Tobago, a space that is in the global south, a space that is impacted highly by post-colonialism, neo-colonialism, and neo-imperialism. Yeah. And all of these things, those having to deal with colonialism and imperialism means that the world doesn't always think it should listen to me. The world likes to share what it knows with us. <laughs> yeah. 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 The mm-hmm. North loves to share all its insights with us. The global North loves to export. And we love to import too. Right. Right. Import and adapt and then take or take it wholesale and apply it here. And so the relationship is very one way. Is it, I, 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 yeah. And so I need to listen to me because when that happens, my psyche, the subcortical regions of my brain, every day are internalizing a certain thing about who I am in the world. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Mm-hmm. And whether I'm thinking about it or not, my brain registers, hey, I'm a consumer, not a producer. Yeah, you're, you're an object, not a subject. Oh, I'm an object, not a subject. I'm the one who's supposed to take and then apply. Mm-hmm. And so in order to undo that, in order to daily, I have to give myself as, as we as we did in, in memory con- reconsolidation, a disconfirming experience. Oh, I have to yeah. give myself that mm-hmm. because I don't give myself that. My subcortical regions of my brain will continue to tell me that this is who I am in the world. And I begin to, to live from that place. I will love from that place. I will parent from that place. I will do all of that from that place. And I don't want to do that. And I have two young Trinidadian Black children. And I think that if I live my life like that, they are going to live their lives like that. Mm. They are going to imitate be an object they are going to imitate not being not having agency in the world mm-hmm. and i'm and 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 so it's very so that's the second reason i listen to me and i the third reason i listen to me is because i'm trying i'm on this i'm on this quest right and it's an uphill to uphill i don't want to use the word battle i'll tell you it's an uphill quest i'm on this quest to help well, and I, uh, I would for those who are interested, I would really like them to listen to themselves, especially if you exist in a marginalized body. Mm-hmm. And I think that if I am not doing it, then I'm not a teacher. I'm a, I'm a performer, and I don't want to mm. be a performer. Mm. And and so when I do my trainings now and my teachings now. It, it's the content is one part. Like I'm happy that I'm able to share this content, 
But then the other major part for me is modeling. You know, showing that, hey, look, this is a Black woman from the global South standing up and generating and creating and sharing this with the group. And if she is doing it, then we need to, we need to, we can do it too. You know, and I'm not saying people need my permission. I'm saying that sometimes because of how we are seen in the world, we need to see somebody else do it to believe that we can do it as well. Because it's some, it, other people have influenced me. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people's work, other people's presence. Like when I think about Adrienne Marie Brown, you know, Adrienne. She's amazing. She is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And standing up. Like, I remember the first time she talked about embracing her fatness, you know, and the beauty of that. Like, she used the word, like, I'm, I'm embracing my fatness. And I, I loved hearing that. And that helps me as well to live in my truth, you know, mm-hmm. um, as being a Black woman. You know, if, if, if all of us have to embrace identities that may not be accepted by the world. So, yes. Adrian Marie Brown, Rasma Menachem. You know, Lizzo. Like I look at everybody <laughs> yeah. listen to their truth. Yeah. Know. Well, and actually that brings me into something that I would love for us to transition to you talking about, which is relational privilege, you know, and you yeah. talk about relational privilege in your work. And, you know, what comes up for me as you're talking now is like one of the the values for you in listening to yourself is standing in your truth. Yes. And I'm remembering that's one of the things on the relational yes. privilege wheel. Yeah, 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 yeah. So just, so relational privilege, you know, I define it as these conditions, both internal and external, that permit a person to be able to, to feel safe, to connect, right? And to be intimate. Mm-hmm. And I call it a privilege because structural oppression system systemic discrimination and all of these things eradicate or at least limit some of those conditions for marginalized people and for me and you were just talking about that like you were just bringing that out and saying like and i just want to highlight this when you were saying like i listen to me because the world tells me not to listen to me the world tells me to consume it and change and let it change me rather than, you know, being again, the subject having agency. And I think the, what I would tie into what you just said there is when you, when those are the messages you're getting from the world yes, and you don't have a groundedness of your own sense of your own self and your own, you're the hero of your own story. Yes. And then you're showing up into a relationship. Yes. How do you be intimate if you don't even have a you there? Yes. That's like, how do I be intimate if I can't, you know, live in my own truth, which is one of the, you talked about, you mentioned the relational privilege wheel and, and, yeah. and that wheel we have the ability to live in your own truth, the ability to feel safe. So, you know, um, psychologically and, and physically, the, able, the ability to accept yourself and the ability, the ability to be accepted by other people. Yeah. And, and, and if I, like if you're living in your own truth, I can't, it's so difficult to me for me to connect with another person if I don't even know who's doing the connection, right. you know? So who's the one, you know? And, 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 you know, all healthy relationships, you know, have ebb and flow and, and all healthy relationships, 
you know, you sometimes need to have, like my friend Julianne Taylor Shaw is doing some amazing work on boundaries. You need to have healthy boundaries, even in relationships. But if I don't know who I am, I can't have healthy boundaries, which means I can't do healthy intimacy. If my brain does not feel safe, if I'm walking around my world and I'm feeling unsafe in my body, yeah, the research is showing us, the research is out there showing us that that people of, in particular, I think it's Black people, right, mm-hmm. interpret their relationships in the context of, against the backdrop of institutional racism. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if my brain is not safe out there in the world, I can't just switch it on and make it safe at home all of the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so feeling safe outside, you know, sets up a, a context for me to feel safe in my home as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, being able to, to be accepted by other people, accept myself, all of these things help me to feel connected. So, you know, it's so important for us to, to, us to talk about relational privilege, I think. And the reason why I've been pushing for it so much is because, you know, when I was doing all of my training in couples therapy, I would learn about what intimacy means and what we need to teach clients to do and, da, 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 and all these different mm-hmm. guidelines mm-hmm. being given. And they were useful and, not, and, and they are useful. I don't even, I don't want to discredit. I don't want to discard. I want to expand. Yeah. And, and, and I need, and what I need to say is, yeah, they're useful. They help. They're great. But the body that is, the body that is that has created some of the bodies, sorry, that have created some of these um, methodologies or ways of working with couples mm-hmm. are bodies that often don't experience certain kinds of institutional trauma. And oh well, no. Can we can we name that together? These who yes. these bodies are? <laughs> I mean, they're white, well, right? No, Most of them are white. White cishet bodies often. Yeah, you know. Well, and and a lot of times white cishet middle class western yeah yes you're right white cishet middle class global north or bo- upper class you know, you know but yeah. like yeah global and, north yeah and already there are all these layers that would inform how you would explain intimacy and here's the thing sometimes yes i get it we do research and we do research and we research, we would do work with on 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 different kinds of people, different bodies. But 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 you know, we have to admit, and that's why in the work of in qualitative research, especially, we talk a lot about positionality. Your positionality does impact how you interpret the data. It does impact it does. even what even what you want to research, it impacts. And yeah. What and, data you consider valid data? What data you can write, mm-hmm. and it, it impacts it because you're a human being, not because you're racist or you're this. Or so I'm not even making any accusations about people's character. It just is what it is. Like mm-hmm. I, I've 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 said to you, wife mishaps is only epistemology. Yes. So does heterosexuality. So does heterosexuality. You know, but it's the same thing also for being black. Like there's yep. absolutely no way that the modality that I am creating here would apply for everybody and land safely into everybody's knowing of the world. And that is okay for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I want to just like name, because when we're talking about privilege, you know, and I love that you bring up like relational privilege, like the ability to, to find yourself in relationship 
and then open yourself to these practices that all the couple therapists and and like the big names out there are telling people to do. And what I'm hearing you say is that to to just do that is a privilege. Like to yes. even be able to do that is a privilege. And there's there's and if you're able to show up and just do that work, you may not have the layers that you're talking about covering up the you yeah. to show up there. And as with all other privileges, privilege that privilege is invisible to you if you have it. You don't yeah. see it. You don't see it. Fish swimming in water. Yeah, you don't know. I, I, sorry, as water to a fish and you don't even know. Yeah, you well, and I think what I'm hearing from you too is that maybe people who show up to get help who are uh, who are marginalized and, uh, you know, maybe they don't even, they might not even see themselves as marginalized. They might see themselves as very empowered. Mm-hmm. And if we don't name, oh, these other layers might be happening for you. Like when you're trying to do this thing that I'm telling you to do, yeah. maybe it's like, I want you to take a break and re-regulate, right? Yeah. That might be something I tell some, tell one of my clients to do, but I'm not naming for them the other layers that might be hitting their nervous system over and over and over again, then, mm-hmm. then when they're struggling to do it, they might be beating themselves up. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we're doing our clients a disservice if we don't mm-hmm. tell them this might be going on for you. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. Like when you said that, that landed for me. I, I, I Letting them know this may be part of the struggle because what happens often and I, strangely enough, I had I did that this week with a client of mine who is marginalized, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I you know, I wonder if it's this, you know, and my client literally had this aha moment, like, yeah, you know, maybe it is this. Maybe this is what's happening with me, you know. And 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 I've had to do it with clients who are BIPOC, I've had to do it with clients who are LGBTQI, clients who are differently abled. Like I've had to do it. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's important to name it because I think it helps liberate and free the client. And and I, I think, you know, I want to say this, I'm veering off slightly, but I think our clients, especially our clients who um, have a history of things like, like slavery and colonialism or the Holocaust or any kind of um, just really, really, really disastrous atrocities that have happened to their ancestors, mm-hmm. they need to know because we inherit certain predispositions. Yeah. Right. Right. We can inherit certain profiles and certain and certain responses. And so we find ourselves being able, struggling with certain things. And we need to know, okay, maybe this, we have to talk about epigenetics. We have to talk about yeah. the way that, you know, the, the affect genetic expression and that really and truly what you may be enacting right now may be an ancestral adaptation to trauma. That and, probably, and, that probably saved your life. That probably, that probably, that probably that is why you're here is because your ancestors did that to survive. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that because I think sometimes I like, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to struggle now with things like, I, like I, with words like unhealthy and, and, you know, in terms of when I'm thinking about behaviors and relationships, like I'm struggling. I don't want to discard. I just want to expand. So the struggle won't lead me to discard, but it will lead me to think about, you know what, sometimes we might seize behaviors that we are enacting that may be part of our, that may be part of ancestral adaptations. And we want to label it as unhealthy. But guess what? It probably saved their lives. And that's why you're here today. So right. like 
And if and if they say we're talking about like aggression, yeah. you know, like big thing now is you know don't be aggressive and da 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 etc. And I get it, but guess what? I am um, like I, I the other day I was saying to a friend of mine, and I'm I'm gonna give this story, but it's related. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm dealing with a particular situation right now that felt racist to me, and and I'm finding that there's a way in which I am struggling, and I'm I, I'm feeling a fight emerging. And, you know, when I look back, my, 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 I was saying to a friend of mine, I feel that there's a woman, not I feel, I know, I'm sensing my body, that there is a woman in my history, right, who was fighting, mm. yeah, had to fight to be okay. And I feel that I feel her adaptation in my body. Right. And I believe it because I also see my daughter, I have a, a five-year-old and she has fight, yeah, she has protest. Yeah. And, and, you know, I also, I mean, I am, I am black. However, in my ancestral line, there is a, 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 a mixed race person in my ancestral line, which is ev- right. Which is evidence. I mean, I, I mean, this is hard to talk about, but it's evidence of rape. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all of these things, when I think about the fact that there is a woman in my ancestral line who was raped, you know, and, and 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 what that may have meant and passing and all of that energy passing from one generation to the next. I get it now. So when 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 people may say to me, you know, this particular incident, you're handling this, you should handle it with more tenderness. I'm like, yeah, great. But I think there's somebody in my ancestral line who is being summoned right now through mm-hmm. my body, through the genetic adaptation, saying, mm-mm, there's an awakening here. And 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 I'm not going to bring it back to what you talked about, Libby. I'm not going to. I'm not going to white it. Sorry to say it, but no, look, please say it. <laughs> this is unhealthy, and this is this, and this is that, and no, 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 no. I well, think that's, well, and that's not just. I mean, I I recognize the way you're saying white it, but I want to just like also say that's just judging yourself, right? Yeah. That's just beating up on yourself. That's turning contempt towards yourself. Yeah. Something that what I'm hearing you say is, was probably an adaptation that, um, that served, that served your ancestors. And yeah. also maybe like you said, is being summoned forth for a reason. And for you to just go, Oh, I'm horrible for having that fight in me. Um, I shouldn't be this way. Like, you're saying there's a reason she's here. There's a reason yes. why yeah. that is there. And I need to listen to that you need to listen. part of me. And we had conversations about that too, yep. where, you know, where, you know, I've heard that part of you rising up and I've gone, are you sure? <laughs> but, but you know, I want, I, I want to go back to when I said, I, I don't want to white it. There's yeah. a reason I say that deliberately. And because of the body in which I live, right? Yeah. Whenever black folks get necessarily aggressive, there is a way in which sometimes, many times, I'm 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 sitting with it because I'm finally with it, and I have hurt around this. Yeah, white people with power um, judge us as just being angry, right? Being volatile being aggressive, being barbaric. And I want you to, and I wanted to see that the history and a lot of the history of the way you think about how 
white how white people have defined indigenous people mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. how white people have defined black people mm-hmm. yeah a lot of it and i'm talking here about in in in, in we're talking about 1600s 1700s and even it's coming through even today mm-hmm. a lot of it is about aggression and a lot of it is about lawlessness and 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 immorality and and and, and for a woman hypersexual woman sorry hypersexuality so mm-hmm. there's a lot of moralizing you mm-hmm. know there's a judgment and evaluation of our adaptations yeah. to this world so I, I i make no apologies for saying when i sit in my body i can't like this because yeah. i need to i'm speaking to a system that judges adaptations, but, but it's also the same thing I've noticed in the ways in which heterosexual people sometimes judge LGBTQI people at adaptation, you know, like as I, uh, and I know I'm talking a lot, but as no, I, you're, you're perfect. I, I, I remember <laughs> working. I, I, when I start, cause I am, I am, I am, I am, I am cishet, right. But I'm on a spectrum, right. Which, which is no way come a lot. I mean, I don't, I cannot play oppression Olympics. I would never, because being on the A spectrum does not carry the same degree of, of, of like structural challenges as somebody who would be identified as, as, as lesbian or, or bisexual, et cetera. Right. But, but I just want to kind of name my positionality, my social mm-hmm. location. Mm-hmm. Remember when working, when I started my, in my early days of working with the LGBTQI community, um, as we got a friend of mine and we had started to talk about resistance work right and we would talk because in, when we were both trained in social work and the language used to be about from risk to resilience and he was like no it's from risk to resistance and mm. about yeah i was talking about the fact that for many queer people in trinidad and tobago where i am from the aggression and resistance and and the loudness and all of those things which are critical features of of many people being queer in, in, in Trinidad and Tobago is part of an adaptation to a heteronormative homophobic place. Right. Yeah. And what and what what heterosexual people would judge as being too sexually explicit or too aggressive or too flamboyant or too whatever. It's protection. Ah. So, mm-hmm. so, so, so white it isn't just about color. I think white it is about when when we have to challenge the the lexicon or challenge the epistemology of any dominant group, whether you're heterosexual, whether you're cis, whether you're white, whether you're global north, it, people who exist on the margins deserve to say, like, you know what, I'm I'm going to un I'm not going to heterosexual it. I'm not going to white it. I'm not going to cis it. I'm not going to uh-huh. whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I, I love that. I love that. And, you know, that brings into me a thing that I'm thinking about as you're saying that is, you know, I'm not going to judge myself on these standards that uh, don't honor my my lived experience in the body that I inhabit. And and at the same time, a thing you talk about is how that can lead to something you call negative dyadic coping. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder yeah. if you'd be willing to talk more about that. Yeah, it it's it's a negative dyadic coping. So I don't I don't want to claim it as mine. I, I, I it's not it's not something that I I um I created. Something that I researched. Forgive me, I can't remember exactly where I where I read it first. But it's about just the ways in which so dyadic coping 
refers to the ways in which couples or partnerships um, ref- um, deal with systemic stress, right? Mm-hmm. And it can be positive or it could be negative. And the negative dialect coping refers to the ways in which we harm each other, yeah, in trying to, while trying to adapt to systemic trauma. Yeah. Um, and there are different ways that we can harm each other. If I am being overly aggressive with my partner, if I'm being abusive toward my partner, if I am withdrawing from my partner. Or being know, dishonest or being yourself. Dishonest with my partner. If I have too many boundaries or too little boundaries, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. some things are the ways in which I can probably harm my partner. Yeah. There are adaptations to the system, but there's a way in which what I've done in the work now, I've found different ways for people to be able to track it. So there's this thing, and I'm going to teach about this next week, called the theater of oppression. And I ask people, you know, because I I, 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 I ask people to think about oppression and systemic discrimination as being like a theater and you're cast in a role. Yeah. What role have you been cast in? And what are the behaviors you, you've had to employ to survive in that role? And how have you enacted those rules in your relationships? Or how or, or how or how have you uh, enacted adaptations to the rules in those really in your relationship? And, and it helps people, I think, to engage in what I call responsible externalizing. And there's a reason that that I that I call it responsible externalizing. So first of all, I'd say that the research has shown that if we help couples who are marginalized, if we help BIPOC couples, right? I think in particular, we should about African-American couples. If we help them to be able to externalize and to attribute um, what they're experiencing to things external, right? That, that, that they're able to survive and thrive better, right? Um, so that's one of the reasons I've started, you know, really pushing for externalizing. Uh, but I also wanted to be responsible because not every single thing you experience can be attributed to racism or heterosexism or anything like that, right? So we want to encourage people to do that, but to do that from a place of 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 caution and, and curiosity as well. Um, but yeah, negative dietic coping, you know, just those harmful behaviors that really may be as a result of just trying to cope with a, a crappy system. Yeah. And then you're basically, you're bringing them into your ecosystem, your relational ecosystem. Yes. And I think the thing that, you know, what, what I'm hearing in there is that, again, those are, those are strategies that you're, that you're using to survive in a system that wasn't designed for you and that objectifies you. And, um, but then when you're bringing it home, it's actually making your home or your family or your um or your your partners the, the your safe place right not you know it's bringing it's bringing that energy and that and those behaviors into your into your uh intimate sphere and it's disrupting the intimacy mm-hmm, 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 you're right and, and, and here's what in addition to it disrupting the intimacy i think it's not allowing you to create you know i i Adrienne marie brown like I'm with her book right now, Emergent Strategy. Mm, and she book. talks, it's a good book. And mm-hmm. she talks about, and if I'm misquoting you, um, Adrian, please don't kill me. I'm saying exactly what I what I understand. I think it's beautiful. Um, you know, imagination is one of these spoils of colonialism and talks about how trauma destroys imagination. And I think that when people have to be dealing with all of these different challenges 
and all of the, the systemic stuff, they lose the, the capacity to imagine and to create. And- I want to I pause you there because I don't want to lose that. Just what you just said just there. Mm-hmm. What you said was trauma destroys the imagination. I know you're quoting yes. Adrian, yes. Um, but trauma destroys imagination. And I want you to tell me what, what, what do you, why, why do you need imagination in relationships? I, I think that, well, this is me. This is my, why I, what I think, right? I think couples, and, and I'm saying this from the work I do with my, especially with black, with BIPOC couples or with mixed race couples, right? Mm-hmm. You need to figure out unique ways to create a relationship that lands right for you and for your reality. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us, as Adrian says, you're living in somebody else's imagination, calling it truth, right? We find ourselves feeling disruptive and our disrupted and disruptive again, <laughs> because we're living in somebody else's imagination. And when I'm able to live in my own imagination and craft the relationship that I want for me, I'm able to have a healthier relationship. And I'm, and, and I think also, um, you know, when I think about the disconfirming experiences, I need to constantly have experiences as a Black person that brings me closer to my truth. Oh, I, it's a, yeah. It's a, it's a critical part of my liberation. Well, right? and what I'm hearing in that too is that, that that gives you fuel for your imagination. Like it can be so hard to imagine. Yes. If you don't if you've never seen it or never experienced or never felt it, it can be really hard to, I mean, I remember having so many conversations with people where I'd be like, well, what do you want? And it would be really hard to get my client or my friend in some cases, like to even say what they want because they don't know what they could possibly have. Oh, and, 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 and who is the person that has to have it? You don't even know who the person has to. And, and (laughs) I think I I must admit that when I have to think about what do I want and who I am, sometimes I find myself getting at first a bit shaken up and depressed. Like, who the hell am I? (laughs) Um, But as I was saying to, to, to to my favorite uncle the other day, um, he knows who he is. I I was saying that, you know, because he and I are very close. I said to him, all of my story all of my past, all of my traumas, every single thing has led me to you. And I'm using that now to talk about this whole thing of living in your truth and who you are. The reality is, this is painful to say, but it kind of is what it is. I am an amalgam of survival and beauty and creativity and wonderful blackness and Caribbeanness, as well as the trauma and the pain. Mm-hmm. you know, of that journey. I cannot pretend that slavery and and colonialism, all these things are not integral parts of my self-understanding and my self-concept and my identity. And trying to undo that might probably lead me to some kind of abyss, some kind of, abyss and some kind of serious identity crisis. But, but, but here's what I do know. I can sit with all of those things and make decisions from that place about what leads me closer to who I want to be in the world, what settles me more, what feels resonant. Minute by minute, I'm asking myself that question. What do I want? What, and I, so this is so ironic because yes, let's have this conversation with a client of mine. You know, what do I want? Minute by minute, moment by moment. And, and, and just the question, what, what do I want? What the hell do I want? 
is political. What, yeah. the hell, what, what do I want to wear? What do I want to eat? How do I want to look? What do I want to weigh? What do I want to be? And 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 if you're and and you you know you know I think you know when you're acting outside of what you want because if you have to think about what the other will assume to get to, to, to as a compass and you know you're outside, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and I think of it as a continuum, right? Because we are shaped by outside. I think, and, 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 and there's nobody who I think was completely 100% autonomous, right? We are fed by outside. And so we're think, all in a context. We're you all are in a context. And, and I, I want to name this because, you know, I, I don't want to take anything away from how much this is about being Black and how much this is about being in the Global South, how much this is about being a colonialized um, body and all of that. And I want to like, I want to say that. And, and uh, many people, many people say this, like racism, uh, our racist system oppresses everyone. Yes. Our, 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 our patriarchal system oppresses everyone. It privileges men, but at a tremendous cost, right? It privileges straight people at a tremendous cost. Yeah. And, um, and I would even go so far as to say, um, you know, uh, gender normativity, like, and and the gender binary also oppresses cis people at a at a cost that they don't even know because there's the, because it's a we're all put in this prison of conformity, yes. and and so even though I know that the people that you care the most about and that the who this is who your work is primarily for are not people like me, people who live in this body necessarily. Although I guess I'm queer and and I'm neurodivergent and I'm a woman, so there are places where where, yes. but I I just want to name that I'm not at the front of the line, <laughs> but I want to say for my listeners who are listening, I think you know what Akila is saying. It it really it really brings in like, you know, we're all in this theater of oppression. We've all been handed a role. I think that we didn't pick and that we don't, <laughs> you know. Can we, can we, can we, oh, can we sit in that magic of what she just said? Maybe I can interview you. That. Let <laughs> me, <laughs> I, I, I want to pause there. That's a big piece for me. I want to take that in. We're all in a role that we didn't pick. Like, even, oh, sorry. That's like, I'm like, I've, you said that and my whole body went, yeah. And I, and I even want people who have power in the world to understand that. That if you were, if you're in a white body, you know, you you can fight against it all you want you have power wasn't this such a juicy conversation i'm sorry that i had to cut it off just right here but uh that is because we needed to make this a two-part episode so stay tuned for part two coming out next week i promise you will not want to miss it uh, part two of my conversation with Akila Riley Richardson. Now, before I let you go, I'm excited to announce that I have been invited to teach a workshop along with my partner, Kier Kark, at the Southwest Love Fest conference in Tucson, Arizona. As of right now, this is the only conference that I'm teaching at this year, uh, and I'm very, very excited. 
Uh, Kira and I are going to be teaching an amazing workshop together, and we are just two of a whole swath of amazing speakers at this conference. This is the fourth year that I will be attending Southwest Love Fest. It will be the third year that I have taught there. And uh, Sarah and Kate just put on an incredible event. Uh, I was so privileged to attend back in 2019, and I am so excited to uh, be presenting there in person. And so if you are thinking of coming, stop thinking about it and just uh, buy your ticket. (laughs) But if you haven't bought your ticket yet and you want a discount, you can actually sign up on the website and use my code GOSLOW and you get 10% off. So... um, you know, get in there, get a discount and, uh, drop me a line if you're coming. Cause I'd love to meet up. In fact, if I get enough people telling me that they're attending Southwest love fest and they are making polyamory work listeners, then maybe I'll set up a meetup or something. Would you guys like that? Uh, I'd love to see you there. Okay. That plug is over. And again, stay tuned next week for part two of my conversation with Akila Riley Richardson. Thanks y'all. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you have any thoughts about what I've said or a question for the show, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me via my website, libbysinbeck.com, or you can connect to me on any of my social channels. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'll also say that if you're loving my podcasts, but feel like your relationship could maybe use some more help, this is work I do with my coaching clients and in the relational non-monogamy circle. If you're interested, you can either set up a free introductory session with me to see if coaching might be a fit for you, or check out the relational non-monogamy circle online at libbysinbeck.com slash rnmc. If you love this podcast, please share it. Share it with your friends, your networks, your Facebook groups, etc. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, it would be super awesome if you left a review or a comment because that will help more people find the show. Making Polyamory Work is created by me, Libby Sinbeck. It is edited by Finn of the Normalizing Non-Monogamy podcast and hosted on the Anchor.fm platform. Van de Leon manages the website and posts the transcripts. Thanks for being with me today, and I'll see you soon.